coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. We are right smack dab in the heart of the college football season, guys, and you don't want to miss any more of the action. If you haven't already signed up for an account at MyBook, I know a lot of you have, but if you've been holding out, now is the time to make that happen. Just go to MyBookie.ag, sign up with our exclusive Glory UGA promo code. Just type in UGA when you sign up for that account, and you'll get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. But if you want to avoid the playthrough, of course, there is another option for you guys. You can use the code 200CASH to get a 10% straight cash bonus right into your account. No strings attached. Make the choice that is right for you and sign up with my bookie today. Right, guys. I am your host, Tyler. And this is one that we have been waiting on for a while. It's the cocktail party. We're putting the bye week behind us. It was a nice, relaxing week while it lasted, but we got a stretch run to get to, and it all starts here with the rivalry game in Jacksonville against the Florida Gators who I happen to personally hate with a deep, deep abiding passion. I'm fired up for this weekend. I know you're fired up for this weekend. We're all fired up for this weekend. Some of you may already be down in Jacksonville or in the surrounding areas. I'll be heading down there bright and early Friday morning. It's going to be a hell of a weekend. But before that game day gets here, we've got to break this game down, guys. And you know how I do. I've watched the tape over and over again. I've been scouting this team for this weekend, for this game, since week one, back when they played Utah. So today, I have the deepest of deep dives that you are going to find into this Georgia-Florida game anywhere else. So let's go ahead and dive right into this, guys. Let's not waste any time. Let's get into it. And I want to start with this. This is where I offer a mea culpa. I got it wrong on Florida, guys. I got it wrong. And I am man enough to own that. When you pat yourself on the back, when you get things right, you also have to own it when you get it wrong. And I got it wrong on Florida. I got to be straight up about that. In the preseason, when Charlie and I sat right here in the Glory UGA studio and Curtis was joining us remotely, and we gave you guys our preseason predictions, we went team by team and gave you our win-loss records for every team in the SEC, and I had the Florida Gators going 4-8. and eight. I had them losing to Utah, Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, Georgia, LSU, Missouri, and Florida State. Well, I've already missed the Tennessee game. That was the game where it's like, okay, I, I'm going to be wrong here. I, I just saw it watching that game. You knew it. They were going to be better than 4-8, and eight, and they clearly are going to be better than 4-8. and eight. If I had to predict right now, based off what we know of this Florida team, and also knowing what they have down the stretch with their last five games, I would say this is going to be a 6-6 six and six football team. They're going to make a bowl. And in the preseason, I kind of scoffed at that notion. I did not see Florida as a bowl team. Again, let me say it. I was wrong. It happens. But what I want to focus on here is why I was wrong. The reason, the driving force behind my 4-8 and eight prediction for Florida this year was the quarterback position. I, quite simply, did not believe in Graham Mertz. And to be frank with you, I, I kind of stand by that based off what we knew about him, what we had seen from him through four seasons coming into this year. He had given us no reason to believe in him prior to this year in his four years at Wisconsin. Over his last two seasons at Wisconsin, 2021 and 22, 
The guy threw a combined 29 touchdowns and 22 interceptions. He never thrown for more than 2,100 yards in his entire career. Never averaged more than seven and a half yards per attempt. Had never completed more than 61% of his passes. And that was in the COVID year. The past two years, he was under 60% completion, which is horrific in modern day and age of college football, where you have RPOs and the screen game that predominate what you try to do in the passing game and create easy throws for teams. That's crazy. He was under 60%. He was 57% last year. He really had given me, given any of us, no reason whatsoever to believe in him coming into this year at Florida. But Graham Mertz has gotten better, guys. It's his fifth year at the college level, and sometimes guys improve. Sometimes they get better. Sometimes they need to change the scenery. Sometimes the system that they're playing in offensively doesn't really fit their skill set. Sometimes they need better coaching. And that's what we've seen here. Graham Mertz has been a very good football player for Florida, guys. And that's what I got wrong about Florida. Everything else that I said about Florida in the preseason, I, I feel pretty good about. I'll stand by it. I think they have good players defensively. They're not special on that side of the ball right now. I think their offensive line is still very questionable. I think Ricky Pearsall is a good player, as we'll get to in a little bit. But I, I need to see more from the talent around him. You're starting to see it emerge, but it hasn't been consistent. I think they have two of the best running backs in the league. They've been that really all season long, dating back to last year. So this is largely the team that I thought it would be with the exception, the glaring exception, of Graham Mertz. He has been the difference. So let's talk about Mertz. Let's dive in here. Let, let's start with the Florida offense. And if you're going to start with your offense, you got to start with the most important position on the field, which of course is the quarterback position. Guys, Graham Mertz has been significantly better than Anthony Richardson was for Florida last year. I'm not saying he has a higher ceiling than Anthony Richardson. He's not going to be the NFL guy that Anthony Richardson's going to be. That's, that's certainly not the case. But in terms of playing quarterback at the college level, doing things that you need quarterbacks to do to be proficient and operate efficient offenses, He's been head and shoulders above better than what Anthony Richardson was for Florida last year. Guys, their team completion percentage last year, which is primarily Anthony Richardson, was 54.4%. This year, it's up over 20%, 76.1%. Their passing game is far, far, far more efficient than it was last year. They're also throwing for 52 and a half more yards per game than they did a year ago. And again, Mertz is the driving force behind that. He is the difference. And he's gotten better, guys. As the season has gone on, he's gotten increasingly better game after game. The first couple games of the year, this guy was truly a game manager. He wasn't doing anything to really put the team on his back. He wasn't showing the capability to go out and win games for this football team. He was showing that he was stable. He was safe. He was making good decisions with the football. He's protecting it. He's only thrown two interceptions this year. But as the weeks have progressed... He has steadily improved to the point that right now, he has the capability to go out and win a football game for them. That South Carolina game, which is the last game they played before their bye week, that showed me something. I know, look, guys, South Carolina's not good. In, in, the, in the back end, they're all banged up right now. They're, they, they were banged up a little bit when they played us, but not like they are now. I mean, they're, they're having to mix and match. They're, they're trying guys at, at star. They're moving that guy to safety the next week. They're just, it's like musical chairs back there for South Carolina right now. So there are issues back there. But Mertz, Drive after drive was putting that team on his back against South Carolina. He threw for 423 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. In fact, I would say over the last two weeks, now I know the competition's not great, but Vanderbilt and South Carolina, this guy has played as well as any quarterback in the country over the past two weeks. He, against Vandy, he was 30-36, 83% completion percentage, over 250 in that game, three touchdowns, no picks, six touchdowns, zero picks over his last two football games. And he's feeling it, guys. He's confident out there. 
He is in command. He knows where to go the football. He's throwing the football accurately on time. He really was not even trying to push the ball down the field vertically early in the season. That has changed. They are starting to take more shots down the field. Again, he's feeling more comfortable, more confident, and they're they're hitting a lot of those shots. And that's why Florida never concerned me really for a second last year is they were a one-dimensional offense. Anthony Richardson had all the physical talent in the world, had a cannon of an arm, but had not put it all together as a passer. Now, they ran the football well, but throwing the football, they, they couldn't do it. And one-dimensional offenses don't be Georgia. But hear me when I say this, guys. This Florida offense is different. This is not a one-dimensional offense. They can throw it, they can run it, they can beat you with either. Now, of course, while Merce is clearly a far more more proficient passer than Anthony Richardson ever was at the college level, he doesn't have that type of athleticism. He does they do zero design runs with this guy. He's functionally mobile, kind of, but he's really not a threat at all to do much of anything with his legs, which does work in our favor considering the issues that mobile quarterbacks have given our defense this year. But this is a quarterback that absolutely has the ability to go out and win football games for his team. Now, the only thing I have not really seen from him at this point is I haven't seen him do it against a good team. All right, let's, let's just be real, guys. I know our schedule isn't great right now. He has not done it against really anybody with a pulse. He was fantastic against South Carolina. Yes, he was fantastic against Vanderbilt. He was actually good against Kentucky, largely 25 or 32, 44. Again, 83% completion percentage, two touchdowns to throw a pick in that game, but he was largely good in that game. He wasn't the reason they lost that game. The reason they lost that game is because Kentucky ran for 330 on them. Against Tennessee, he was he was still in game manager mode, third game of the season, 19 and 24, 166. So again, like early in the season, 14 of 17, 193, 19 and 24, 166. Against Charlotte, 21 and 24, 284. Uh, Kentucky, 25 or 30, 244. He was more or less a game manager. He wasn't really going out and showing that he could put the team on his back and win games for them. But the last two weeks, that's changed. And he has certainly done that. But he's not doing it alone. Florida is not loaded with skill talent. But they do have some players that can go out and win one-on-one matchups. They have some players that are dangerous in space. Basically, they have some playmakers on offense. But his unquestioned top target is Ricky Pearsall wide receiver. Now, this guy is another guy I said come to the season that I thought was a good receiver. And I think I said this early in the season when I'm doing some of the um, SEC power rankings. He is a very good receiver. I've had questions about his ability to serve as like an alpha number one wide receiver. And I still don't think he is that traditional number one guy. But for, for Florida, he fills that role. And he leads the Gators by wide margins, significant margins in both receptions and yards. He's got 44 catches on the year and 619 yards receiving. He's on pace for about 75 receptions, well over 1,000 yards receiving. Those are number one wide receiver numbers. And he does it in a variety of ways. He's not a particularly big guy. He's 6'1", 190 pounds. He's a really good athlete. He's got good speed. He's shifty. He's dangerous in space. He's not super twitchy, but you get him in space, and he's got good speed, and he can do it. He's twitchy enough to make you miss. He does have good short area quickness. But he's just really versatile, man. They, they can use him in a variety of ways. They can use him in the slot. They can use him out wide. They run this guy. They'll run him with fades out of the slot. They'll run double moves with him. They'll use him a lot in the screen game. They make it really hard to defend him because they move him around and they use him in so many different ways. It's hard to prepare 
for where he's going to be on a down-to-down basis. It's similar to how we use Brock Bowers. Obviously, they're different players, but you know we line Brock up in line sometimes. We'll have him H-back, slot, out wide. We'll do different things so Brock can make it really hard for defenses to account for him because they don't know where he's going to be and what his role is going to be on any given play. And they do similar things with Pierce, even though they're obviously very different players. But he has been a dynamic player for them. We have to be real about it. He has been the guy by far, not even close. Now, a big part of that is that he is the one guy at the skill positions that has been consistently healthy for them all year long. He's been around for a while. He's a senior now, played at Arizona State for a couple years, transferred into Florida prior to last year. And last year he was good for them. He was a nice piece, but this year he has certainly taken a step. And, you know, again, I I was, I'll say it, I was wrong about him. I didn't think he could be that big time number one guy. I thought he had to be a guy that's kind of working off somebody else, but he has been that guy. He's been their number one receiver, and guys, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. He's top five in the league right now. He is top five in the league in receiving, 88 and a half yards per game, and if there is one player that you have to load up to stop in this Florida offense, at least in terms of this skill position of pass catchers, it is clearly, unquestionably, Ricky Pearsall. Now, saying that, the complimentary pieces around Pearsall have really started to emerge in recent weeks. Because early in the season, it was essentially Ricky Pearsall or nothing. But that is changing. And the first guy you have to look at in terms of the compliments to Pearsall is a true freshman. His name is Eugene Wilson. This guy was highly rated coming out of high school. I had a feeling he was a good player. I really liked his tape coming out of high school. And he's dealt with some injuries. He's missed a couple of games this year that kind of set him back somewhat. But the last two weeks, he has become much more of a featured part of this Florida offense. Over the first three games this season prior to his injury, he only had 14 touches, 14 total touches, 131 total yards. But since he's come back from injury the last two weeks against Vanderbilt and South Carolina, he has 16 total touches in those two games for 168 total yards. And he's dynamic, guys. This, I mean, he's probably the best athlete at receiver for Florida. Not probably, he is the best athlete at receiver for Florida right now. He's not a big guy. I mean, he's 5'10", 205, not big, not small. But he's a quintessential slot receiver. They use him a lot like we have been using Dominic Lovett this year. They're trying to get this guy the ball in space in any way they can. So if that's the screen game, if that's the RPO game, if that's like the jet sweep game, give him, line him up in the backfield and just hand him the football. They're trying to find ways to get this guy the ball in space and let him go to work because he is dynamic in space, guys. I said Pearsall isn't super twitchy. That's not the case with Wilson. Wilson, that is his game. This guy in space is a twitch monster. He will leave you with your pants around your ankles one-on-one in space. And they are actively, over the last two weeks, actively trying to feed this guy the ball. They know what they have him. He's still young. He's still learning. I still don't know if he has the entire route tree, the entire playbook available to him, but he's learning more and more week by week. In the bye week, you have to imagine going to have more of a package for this guy. They haven't really used him much vertically down the field at this point. They've taken a couple of shots, but that really hasn't been his game the way they're using him. Again, they're trying to get him involved, RPO game, screen game, give him the ball in space and let this dude just go to work. He's a primarily a slot guy. They'll use him out wide occasionally. They use him in motion a lot. Guys, this is a team, they, they motion a lot. They're pre-snap motion. They're trying to confuse teams, trying to make teams communicate and trying to get them to bust essentially. And if a team busts, they have the playmakers on their on their offense, when they get the ball in space, they can take the distance. They can make you pay if you bust. Khalil Jackson is another receiver, another young receiver who's really coming on. He hasn't been featured as much as Wilson, but he's a guy that has some explosiveness in his game, can get down the field, had a big, long catch against South Carolina that set up a score for them in the, in the first half of that game. And then a really intriguing player that has, like Wilson, really come on for them 
over the past two weeks is a tight end named Arliss Boardingham. That, that's a that's an all-name tight end right there. But he's one of those, he's a new age athletic tight end. That's what this guy is. He's not really a super proficient inline blocker. They don't really especially use him in that role. He's a pass catcher. That's what this guy is. And over the last two weeks, he has been exceptionally productive as a pass catcher against South Carolina and Vanderbilt. He has totaled 12 receptions, 154 yards, and three touchdowns in those two games. And that's basically coming out of nowhere. This guy had essentially done nothing prior to that, but like Wilson, he's coming on. He's starting to make plays. He's becoming more a part of their offense. And that's what Florida has, guys. They have Ricky Pearsall as a vet, and after that, it's a bunch of young guys. A bunch of young guys that have a lot of talent, a lot of athleticism, but are just incredibly inexperienced. They're green, but don't let that inexperience fool you. Boardingham, Wilson, Andy Jeans, another young receiver that doesn't get as much time, as much playing time as Eugene Wilson, but he's a guy that can make you pay too. He's done some good things. He's flashed. They have a bunch of young guys that have no experience, but man, like, they can play. They are explosive, they are dynamic, and they can hurt you. And with Mertz pulling the strings as a fifth-year senior, I know it's his first year in this system, but this guy has seen a lot of coverages. He's thrown a lot of passes in his career. With him pulling the strings, that experience at that position is somewhat mitigating the inexperience at these other positions. And when in doubt, again, he has Pearsall to lean on. That's the guy he leans on. That's his security blanket. That's who he wants to go to. And Pearsall is so reliable and so productive for them that it's been an effective combination. And we will move into the Florida running game here in just a moment. But before we move in that direction, I do want to, again, quickly remind you about our great friends at MyBookie. And guys, I know there's a lot of things that you're looking for in a sports book. Different people have different priorities. But the one thing I think we can all agree on is you got to find a sports book that you can trust. And MyBookie is the one I trust, guys. I just cashed out some money a couple weeks back, and it was an absolutely easy, hassle-free process. And you can't say the same about most sports books out there, guys. They make that process as difficult as they can. Not my bookie. They make it quick, easy, seamless, no problem. You get your money quickly and boom, it's in your pocket. You can do what you want with it. Like, oh, I don't know, pay for trips to Jacksonville. So if you're looking for a sports book you can trust, MyBookie's got you covered, guys. And it's so simple to get started with a brand new account. Just go to MyBookie.ag, sign up for that new account, use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. But you can also, if you want to avoid the playthrough, you can use the other option at your disposal, which is 200 cash. Use that code to get a cash bonus added straight to your account. No strings attached, no worries, no playthrough, nothing like that. And they also have a ton of new features for you guys this year. They've got the cash out early option. So if you're you're like me and you like to put a couple parlays down each week and you're sweating out the last game or two, but you don't want to, you want to go ahead and just take the money you got and run with it, go ahead and cash out early. No worries. No strings attached there. They have a ton of different betting options options, live betting options. They have prize pools. So many things that you guys can bet on. Whatever you're looking for, MyBookie is going to have it for you guys. So again, sign up today for a new account at MyBookie.ag so that you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with MyBookie. All right, guys, we have talked enough about the Florida passing game, but we kind of buried the lead here because, well, yes, the Florida passing game has assumed additional prominence in their offense this year let's let's not forget what this offense is this is an offense that at its core still wants to run the football that is their identity under Billy Napier who's their play caller by the way this Florida offense philosophically and structurally is remarkably similar to the Georgia offense that we have seen throughout the entirety of Kirby Smart's tenure here at Georgia just like us 
They want to, first and foremost, at their core, they want to establish a physical downhill rushing attack. And off that physical downhill rushing attack, they want to take vertical shots down the field off of play action. They want to use the run game to create explosive plays in the passing game. Sound familiar? Yeah, that's what we do. And that is what they are trying to build in Gainesville right now. With the obvious difference being they just simply do not have the personnel that we have right now. They're getting there, guys. They are getting there. Florida is recruiting extraordinarily well. That's one of the reasons I was kind of hoping that they would bottom out this year because they are recruiting well. And I was hoping with a year where they just completely wet the bed and Billy Napier is on the hot seat that maybe that puts a damper on their recruiting efforts. But that's not happening right now. They're recruiting really well. They're going to get the players in there. And when they do, they are, they are going to be tough to deal with, guys, year in and year out. This is not Dan Mullen who was just an absolute catastrophe on the recruiting trail, who let that Florida roster just wither away. No, no. Billy Napier comes from the same tree that Kirby Smart does. He comes from the, the Saban tree. He knows how to build a program. He knows what his offensive identity should be, how to, how to play complimentary football to your defense. And he knows how to recruit. He knows the importance of recruiting. And they will be good for years to come under Billy Napier. I, I do believe that. But that's in the future. That's not right now. Right now, they still are not built out. They don't have the personal the offensive line like we do. They're starting to get there at the skill positions. They're still in the early stages of that. They're not quite, they're certainly not as deep as we are at the skill positions. I don't think they're as good at quarterback as we are. I know that I spoke very complimentary of Graham Mertz, but Carson Beck is, is a better quarterback right now, in my opinion. But again, what they want to do is they want to run the football. That's what they want to do. They want to run the football and work everything off of that. Like us, they make very liberal use of 12 personnel. Again, they don't have the, the personnel at tight end that we have right now, but they look a lot like we do offensively, guys. They're going to have two tight ends on the field a lot of the time. There's a lot of pre-snap shifts and motions that helps them diagnose the coverages that defenses are in, that helps them create favorable matchups for their best players, that helps them create confusion in the back end that leads to bust, trying to have these guys in the, in the secondary communicate and you know who's got who, who's passing off on who. A lot of things that we do, Florida does. They just don't do it as well as we do, in my very humble opinion. But when you talk about their running game, they have two very, very good running backs to work with. In fact, I'll just be real with you guys. I think they are better at running back than we are. Right now, they are. Now, if we were healthy with Branson, it might be a different story. But with the injuries that we've had at that position, they are better than we are at running back. And that's no shot at Dejan Edwards. That guy has been so good for us. We've waxed eloquently about him many times this season. But Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne, those guys are, they're good, man. They, they are better than the two guys that we have in the backfield right now. Johnson is a guy that followed Napier over from Louisiana prior to last season. He was really their best running back last year. And once again, this year, he's leading Florida in rushing. He's got 438 yards, 85 carries. He's 5'11", 215 pounds, and the dude is powerful. He runs with power. He runs with physicality. He is like the prototype of what Florida wants in their lead back. Now, their other back who gets just about as many carries as Johnson, Trevor Etienne, yes, brother of Travis Etienne of Clemson fame. He's smaller, but just because he's smaller doesn't mean he doesn't run with power. He does. He's 5'9", 205. Yes, he excels in space. He's a dynamic space player. He's got great short area quickness. He's got a lot of twitch to his game. He absolutely is the more explosive of the two backs. He's, got, he's averaging six yards per carry, but he does run with some deceptive power. You, you wouldn't think that so much by looking at the guy. Now, he's one of those guys that's shorter then he is small. He's not really small. I mean, he's 205 pounds in a 5'9 frame. So he's not a small guy. He's just a short guy. But he will run behind his pads. And they will lean on these guys. They absolutely will. And they're just tough, man. They are two tough, physical backs that have consistently made plays before the running game for two years running now. 
But when you talk about the Florida run game, you also talk about the offensive line. And this offensive line is still very much a work in progress for Florida, even more than halfway through the season. They underwent a, a complete overhaul and makeover fall in the 2022 season. And yeah, they're, they're still very much in the process of kind of finding their footing, kind of figuring out who they are, who fits where. They lost four or five starters, guys, off of last year's offensive line. It was a good offensive line. They had a second-round draft pick in Osiris Torrance, who came over with Napier from Louisiana. It was a good football player. Lost their other tackle in Richard Gourage. Josh Braun, an interior player for them, transferred over to Arkansas. And to be just honest with you guys, they're not very good up front. I, I really don't believe they are. I think that's the weakness of their entire offense right now. One guy in particular who they were pretty high on, he was a transfer from Alabama, Damian George. And this is a guy, you probably watched from Alabama. This guy was no good at Alabama as a recent transferred. He's at Florida now. He's playing right tackle for them. And he's just kind of lazy to be, I mean, I, I, I hate to call guys out like that, but that's just what I see. He's lazy out there. He doesn't have good footwork. He can get overpowered at times. He's been a problem for them at right tackle. They're just not really particularly good anywhere along the offensive line. And the numbers kind of spell that out in both the run game and in pass pro. You know, in the run game, they have some games where they've run the football well. You know, you look at uh, Tennessee, they ran for 183 yards against Tennessee. They ran for 215 against Vanderbilt. You look at those numbers, you say, oh yeah, well, Florida runs the football well. But I mean, those are really the only two games against Power 5 competition. They've had really any success running the football. They ran for 71 yards or less and under 2.5 yards per rush or less against Utah, Kentucky, and South Carolina. And guys, South Carolina is not good on defense. Kentucky's pretty good on defense. Utah's very good on defense. But they've been held under like essentially 70 yards in three Power 5 games this year. And their backs are good. Their backs are very good. That's not the issue. The issue is, well, it's twofold. They don't have Anthony Richardson back there to open up room in the ground game, just open up space because you have to account for the quarterback in the, in the run game. They don't have that. And they're also just not as good on the, on the offensive line. It's, it's those two things. It's that simple. And then in the past game, guys, they've given up 19 sacks. 19 sacks on the season. That's 10th in the SEC and 99th nationally. So I know that we do not rush the passer well. We are 13th in the league in sacks right now. We only have 12 sacks on the year. But if there was ever a time for us to get right rushing the passer, it'd be this game. They've had a tough time protecting Mertz, and Mertz is not Richardson. He's not mobile back there when pressure gets in his face. And here's one thing I'll add, guys. I mean, Curtis and I talked about it this week. We've talked about it many times throughout this season. The pass rush has been an issue for us, again. But I'll go back to last year. We only have 12 sacks right now through seven games. Does anybody remember how many we had through seven games last year? Yeah, seven seven. We were averaging one per game through the first seven games last year. And what happened after the bye week? Well, we totaled 28 sacks after the bye week, guys. So that was what, the last eight games this season? 28 sacks. So we were going for over three sacks a game the last eight games of the season when we were only getting one sack a game the first seven games of the season. I don't know if we're going to see a repeat of that this year. Who knows? But there is a track record of that after the bye week. We figure some things out. We get some of these young guys ready to go. And we find a way to pressure the quarterback on a more consistent basis. Last year was Jalen Walker became more of a factor in our third down packages. Maybe this year we'll see Damon Wilson more on standard downs. Maybe we'll see more Marvin Jones Jr. And again, if we are going to start that process of improving our pass rush, be more productive rushing the passer, this is a game where that can, that can certainly start. But here's the interesting thing, guys. I, I said in the preseason, and I'm standing by it now, I think that their run game is what they do best. They have two great backs, as I just laid out. But they are not running the football nearly as much as they did last year. I mean, guys, we know like with Anthony Richardson, again, they, they just could not throw the football efficiently whatsoever. So they ran the ball 59% of the time last year. This year, 
No, man, they've undergone a transformation of sorts. They're only running the football on 51% of their snaps right now. They're close to 50-50 between run and pass. And that goes back to what I told you earlier in the show. This is not a one-dimensional offense. Last year, Florida was. They were a, a running team. They could not really hurt you consistently with the pass. Yeah, Richardson here or there would just unleash one and hit a big play down the field. But they were just so inefficient. You really didn't worry about all that much. They ran the ball really well. They were leading the SEC for a while in rushing. And this year, they, they still run the ball very well. They don't run it as well as they did last year because they don't have the quarterback involved in the run game because Graham Mertz is certainly just not a factor in that regard. But they've made up for the decline, the, the, the small decline in rushing production with an increase in their production in the passing game. So again, they're, they're almost 50-50. They're 51-49 run-pass split right now. And overall, like if you look at their, their numbers in totality through the first seven games of the season, it doesn't really look like they've made any improvement offensively, at least, at least statistically. In fact, statistically, it looks like they've taken a slight step back. They're averaging 421.7 yards per game and 29.1 points per game right now. After last year, they averaged 424 yards a game and 29.5 points. And those are the numbers. Those are real. But as we know, stats can somewhat be misleading at times, right? And I think this is one of those cases. I don't think those numbers I just read off to you through the first seven games tell the full story of where this Florida offense is right now. I don't think they really give you a full picture of the Florida offense that we will be facing on Saturday in Jacksonville. Because over the last two weeks, this offense, now that people are starting to get back, starting to get healthy, they're starting to see some of these young players emerge on offense. This offense is starting to hit its stride, guys. In the last two weeks, and yes, I said earlier, I know it's Vanderbilt, I know it's South Carolina, those are two very bad football teams right now. But in their last two games, they have averaged 495 yards and 39 and a half points. And the 38 and 41 points that the Gators have scored against Vandy and South Carolina over the last two weeks, that represents their two highest scoring outputs of the entire season against Power 5 competition. So to me, that seems to indicate that this Florida offense is trending up and that they are playing at a much higher level on that side of the ball than they were for the first four to five games of the season. Now, that does not mean the Florida offense is perfect. They are not. This is not an especially good or dynamic offense in the SEC. It's really not. They are better than I thought that they would be. Graham Mertz is certainly playing at a much higher level than I thought that he would. But there are still some clear areas of deficiency for this Florida offense, foremost amongst those, in my opinion, being their third down offense. Man, it has not been pretty for them on third down. They are only converting 33% of their third down snaps. That ranks them 12th in the SEC and 109th nationally. And trivia time for you guys. Who happens to rank number one in all of America in third down defense? Yep, if you guess the Georgia Bulldogs, you're right. We are only allowing our opponents to convert 23.6% of their third downs. So here we have a matchup of the best third down defense in the entirety of the United States of America against not just one of the worst third down offenses in the SEC, but one of the worst third down offenses in the country. That is an obvious matchup edge for Georgia in this game. Third down is critical, guys. Situational football matters. When you are playing a team the caliber of Georgia, you are going to get in some third and long situations. It's just going to happen. And if you cannot convert in those third down situations, you are not going to win the football game. You're just not because you're not going to be able to consistently drive the football. But if Florida is going to have any hope 
of pulling this upset and winning this football game, they're going to have to find a way to be successful on third downs because they just aren't producing explosive plays. They're just not. They're having to grind out drives. They have only produced 33 plays of 20 or more yards through the first seven games, which ranks them 10th in the SEC in that category. They're just not producing explosive plays. So if you can't produce explosive plays that limit the number of plays you have to run on a drive-to-drive basis, you've got to be efficient on third downs. Because if you're not, you're not going to score. If you can't create explosive plays and you can't convert third downs, you aren't going to score because you're not going to have the football. I mean, all season, guys, it has been Pearsall or nothing when it comes to explosive plays. He is their explosive play guy. So what does that mean for Florida in this game? How is that going to affect how they're going to approach this game offensively, their game plan, how they're going to attack us? I imagine that Florida is going to try to dial up plays on on first and second down. On the early downs, standard downs, I think they're going to try to be aggressive and try to attack us down the field in those situations because they they see these numbers, guys. They're not dumb. Like they have a lot of they have a legion of staffers just like we do, right? So if I can pull up these numbers, you know they've got them. They got a lot more. They understand the matchup edge that we have on third downs. And think about why we're so good on third downs because that's when we actually let our guys off their leashes, right? Curtis and I talked about that earlier in the in the week and like what are some of the areas where we can improve defensively? We're not rushing the passer well. But on third downs, that's when we rush the passer well. We bring guys like Jalen Walker in. We bring Xavier and Sori in. We let those guys get after it. We run simulated pressures. We bring them from different angles. And we just make life hell for opposing quarterbacks. Even if we don't get them on the ground, which we don't do a great job of, we affect them. But the secret to that for us, our secret sauce, is stopping the run on first and second down to get them into third and long. Florida knows that. Billy Napier knows that. He's a good coach. He also knows that while we aren't as dominant against the run this year as we have been in, in recent years, we're still very good against the run. We still lead the league in rushing defense. So if you put all that together, although Florida does run the ball fairly well, it's difficult to imagine that they're just going to run the ball down our throat, especially on first and second down, which is when we are loaded up to stop the run. And if they can't run the ball on first and second down, then they're going to be in those third and long situations, which is clearly not a spot they want to be in against the number one third down defense in the country. They don't really create explosive plays in those situations. They don't really do anything well on third down. So what is the solution to this? What do you do? How do you try to move the football against Georgia defense considering that context? Well, I think it's pretty clear. You have to try to attack us, be aggressive on first and second down. Don't wait until third long to do those things. Throw the football, take shots down the field off play action early and often on standard downs. But all right, guys, I think that just about exhausted for this Florida offense. That's a good half-hour breakdown of this Florida Gator offense. But before we move on to the Florida defense, let me remind you about our great friends at Alumni Hall. Now, if you're heading to Jacksonville this weekend, this is not going to apply. It looks like it's going to be 84, 85 degrees, sunny, beautiful Florida weather. It ain't going to be cold. I've got the red shorts ready, and I'm pumped up for that. But, but, when we get back, Next week against Missouri, 3.30, we know by halftime that sun's going to be down. It's going to be night, it's going to be dark, and it's going to get cold. And the same is going to be true for Ole Miss the following week. That might very well be a night game. So if it's a night game, I guarantee you it's going to be cold. But no worries, Alumni Hall has you taken care of. They have a ton of brand new cold weather UGA gear on the shelves right now. More new stuff coming in by the day. So don't wait until the last second. Don't wait until the day before the game to pick up your stuff if you're buying online. Now, if you're coming into town for the game, you can stop in 
in person inside the Epsbridge Shopping Center. It's just past the Iconic Connector, right off of 316. But get your stuff today, guys. You don't want to wait until it's all gone. because stuff's going to go fast, guys. they got great stuff. They've got a ton of new Nike gear. They've got hoodies. They've got Q-zips. they got pullovers. they got some new Johnny O stuff, some new Cutter and Buck stuff, some new Peter Millar pullovers, new beanies, anything and everything you need to stay warm. Alumni Hall has got you covered, guys. So do yourself a solid and pick up your newest cold weather Georgia gear today, either online at alumnihall.com or in store inside the Edgebridge Shopping Center because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys, it is time to talk about the Florida Gator defense. And this is a defense that has taken significant strides in their first year under new coordinator Austin Armstrong who, by the way, in case you were not aware of this, used to work at Georgia. Kirby Smart knows him well. He was a quality control guy here back in 2019. He then went and took a linebacker job at Louisiana, working for, you guessed it, Billy Napier. How did he get that job at Louisiana? Oh, I imagine Kirby Smart probably had something to do with that, recommending him to Billy, who he knew from back in Tuscaloosa when they used to work together in those Alabama days. But he was a linebacker coach for Louisiana for a year. Then he went to Southern Miss, where he was their D.C. And now here he is, reunited once again with Billy Napier at Florida as the youngest defense coordinator in the country. I believe that is correct. He was actually at Alabama very briefly. Saban hired him back in January as uh, Bama's inside linebacker coach. And then about a month or so, a couple weeks after that, he gets a call from old Billy Napier to be their DC at Florida. And of course, he jumps on that. And uh, that's where he is. And guys, this is a guy who has not only worked for the guys that Kirby Smart worked for and with, has also worked for Kirby Smart in the Georgia program. So if you think about that history, the background, the coaching influences, as you might imagine... The Florida defense looks and operates a lot like ours. It's a base 3-4 that that runs odd fronts, even fronts. They run a lot of simulated pressure. They run a lot of the same coverages as we do. They want to run a lot of man if they can. They'll do some pattern match stuff. They blitz their linebackers a lot. They first and foremost want to stop the run. Now, have they always been successful doing that this year? We'll get to that, but that's what they want to do. And like us, they also struggle to get after the passer. That, there's no coincidence there, guys. All right, so we are 13th in the league in sacks, 12, with 12 in the season. Well, guess who's dead last? Oh, yeah, that's right, Florida. They've got 11. Isn't that interesting how this, this defense at Florida, coached by a guy who worked with Kirby Smart, was hired by Nick Saban. Those are his influences, right? Especially Kirby, uh, Billy Napier as well. I mean, all of Billy's an offensive guy, but he comes from from that tree, right? That family of coaches, that coaching style, that defense, right? Is it just a coincidence that those two defenses run by Kirby Smart? I mean, I guess Glenn Schumann too, but yes, Kirby Smart so intimately involved. And this Austin Armstrong guy are 13th and 14th in the league in sacks. I personally don't think so. I think it's a it's it's a philosophical thing. We've talked about it many times. Why is Georgia always towards the bottom of the SEC or certainly not near the top of the SEC in sacks? It's a philosophical thing, guys. I, I said it earlier, first and second down, we load up against the run, right? We don't turn our guys loose. We just don't. That that's not our priority. If we can rush the passer, sure. I don't I think one of the issues I've had is I don't think we convert from from run defense to pass rush 
as effectively as we could, but that's just not something we put a premium on. We put a premium on, on first and second down, stopping the run, getting teams at third and long, and then that's when we get nasty. That's when we get after people. Florida does something very similar, guys. That's essentially the same philosophy they operate with. That's why we are the two bottom teams in the league in sacks. But anyway, that was all just an aside. Back to the original point here. This Florida defense has certainly taken a pretty sizable step forward this year. And if they do some way, somehow pull this upset, dear God, don't let that happen. But if it if it does, it's going to be on the back of what has been a, a consistently strong Gator defense. That, that's how it's going to happen. This is the strength of their team overall. And under Austin Armstrong, this new defense coordinator, they're only allowing 312 yards per game, which, guys, that's nearly a 100-yard improvement from last year. They gave up 411 yards per game last year. More or less, for all practical purposes, a 100-yard improvement in one year. Now, they still have the best teams on their schedule down the stretch, kind of like we do. Yeah, they played Tennessee. It's not the same Tennessee offense from a year ago. They've also played South Carolina, who can't protect anybody. Their offensive line is an absolute disaster. Uh, they played Vanderbilt. We all know what Vanderbilt is. And they have played Kentucky, who we saw firsthand, right? They, they can't really move the football, but they, they've somehow found a way to move the football in Florida, which we'll get to. But their best, the best offense that they're going to face this year, just like us, are in their, in their future. It's ahead of them. But regardless, they are still, even beyond the statistics, if you watch them play, they're just a much more competent defense than they were at any point last year. Patrick Tony was the coordinator last year. He's gone, and they bring in Austin Armstrong, right? And they've also limited opponents to 20 points per game as opposed to almost 29 points per game a year ago. So that's more than a touchdown improvement in one year, guys, in one year. They have held six of their seven opponents under 400 yards total offense and three of the seven under 300 yards of total offense. And it's not just one area. If you're looking at it from a statistical standpoint, the statistical improvement really has been almost across the board against the pass, against the run. They've improved in, in all those areas. Against the pass in particular, they've gone from allowing 235 yards passing per game last year, 7.7 yards per attempt, to only 187 yards per game and 7.3 yards per attempt so far this season. Yes, again, as I said, best offenses are ahead of them. That is true, but they've done well against the pass this year, at least relatively speaking to where they were a year ago. And let's talk about some of the personnel they got in the back end, right? So you guys remember the name Jalen Kimber? Remember that guy, right? Played here a couple years ago, got injured, uh, kind of fell down the depth chart a little bit, lost about Akili Ringo, and he ends up transferring to Florida ahead of last year. He is now one of their starting cornerbacks. He's a really good athlete, great speed. I was pretty high on him coming out of high school uh, because I love the athleticism. I, I think he can be a good player for them. He's a good cover guy for them. The issue with Kimber is kind of the same thing it was when he was here in Athens, He's not an overly physical guy in the screen game, the perimeter run game. That's just not really what he does well. He's a very, very poor tackler. And you know, in our defense, that's not something that is acceptable. So he is now at Florida, and he's playing fairly well for them. Again, in coverage, solid. Hasn't been special in coverage, but he has he has a high ceiling. He's still learning, still trying to get better as a cover guy out there. But again, I think he struggles against the run, against the screen game, and I think that's something that we can challenge them with in this game. Now, opposite him, on the other side, they got a former five-star at the other corner spot, a guy by the name of Jason Marshall Jr. And neither Marshall Jr. nor Kimber have really played at a particularly great level. Like Neither guy is an all-conference type guy. They they both, I'm not just Kimber, Marshall Jr. too, they both struggle, and like I said, in the perimeter run game, the screen game. But what they bring is athleticism. They are two really good athletes, 
two guys with great speed, and they just improve the overall athleticism of this Florida defense. They and they've been good in coverage, right? They both have three pass deflections. They don't neither one of them has an interception, but that doesn't necessarily matter. It's not always indicative of what kind of cover guy you are. Sometimes you just kind of look into those. But all in all, they have been solid, but not dynamic out there. Then it's safety. They have two young guys, uh, a true freshman by the name of Jordan Castle and a sophomore named Miguel Mitchell, two young, really both are lightly recruited guys. And there are three-star guys, kind of afterthought recruits. I hate to use that term, but I, all I mean by that is they were not big time recruits that everybody in the country was after. And we get some guys like that that really pan out for us, guys like Javon Bullard. But both those guys kind of fit that bill and they've been good. Neither guy has a lot of experience. Obviously, they're young. Um, they're they're more solid against they run against the run than they are against the pass. I think they have shown some vulnerabilities against the pass. Castle, uh, in particular, he's six two two twenty. He's a big safety, like an old school strong safety is basically what he is. I mean, that's great size, and he is he is good against the run. He flashes some some pretty good potential. But, I mean, he's a freshman, guys. Uh, we, we saw this with Malachi Starks last year. Malachi Starks is clearly a better athlete than him and a better, just a better player than him. But Malachi, as good as he was for us last year, he also didn't always know what he was doing. And he, there were some pretty high-profile busts in some of the SEC Championship game, uh, just for example. And you see that from Castle at this point. He lacks experience. He's apt to miss assignments. And that can create some explosive play opportunities for us in the passing game. But all in all, the Florida... Pass defense has been good, but I just, I go back to what I was saying earlier. Who have you played that can really challenge you through the air? South Carolina has a great quarterback in Spencer Rattler. Xavier Leggett's a really good receiver, but they can't really protect him. The the offensive line is just an absolute disaster. Even though Florida can't really rush the passer, they only had two sacks that game in South Carolina, but they were constantly affecting him because the South Carolina Offensive line is just, I mean, guys, it is an absolute train wreck. Utah can't throw the football. Tennessee is probably the best passing offense they face this year, but we know it's not the same Tennessee offense as it was that it was a year ago. Kentucky can't throw the football to save their life. Devin Leary's forgotten how to play football. We are 1,000% the most dynamic passing attack that Florida has faced this year, even without Brock Bowers. Carson Beck is unquestionably the best quarterback that they have faced all year long. So we'll find out. We'll find out just how good this Florida pass defense really is this weekend. Now, against the run, Florida has, like against the pass, they have shown statistical growth. We can say that. They have shown growth from a statistical standpoint. They've gone from allowing 175 rushing yards per game and 4.5 yards per rush last year to allowing 125 yards per game and 4.3 yards per rush this season. Those numbers are what they are. They have statistically improved against the run. But saying that, it's not a consistent thing. In fact, their performance against the run has been wildly erratic, oftentimes from game to game this season. So let me give you a couple examples. The reason they beat Tennessee is because they were able to shut down Tennessee's run game with even numbers in the box. We've talked about that with Georgia's matchups against Tennessee. That is how we control the Tennessee offense. The two years of Josh Heupel being at Tennessee, the reason I, I, I like to say that we've been the kryptonite for the Tennessee offense is because their offensive line has not been good enough to handle our front six. And we, we've been able to largely shut down their run game without rolling guys in the box, which takes away their opportunities to create one-on-one matches in the back end to hit those vertical shots on the field that they destroy people with. That's how we've been so dominant against Tennessee. Well, no one else was really able to do that against Tennessee last year. 
Florida, though, week three, was able to do that. When I saw that, they, there were two things going off in my head. Well, number one, uh-oh, maybe Florida's better than I thought they were. They can Maybe they can stop the run better than I thought they could. And then also the other side, uh, Tennessee is not going to be as good as they were last year. This is not the same team. They can't run the ball like they could. And they certainly do not have the same personnel at quarterback or receiver. And we've kind of seen that play out for Tennessee. Now, the Florida defense, though, has not been that consistently good against the run. That was, I don't want to call it a mirage, but also kind of, because that was impressive, guys. I mean, Tennessee still leads the SEC in rushing offense, guys. They rushed the ball for like 217 yards a game, and Florida held them to 100 on the dot, like 3.3 yards per rush in that game. Nobody else has done that to Tennessee. Alabama did not do that to Tennessee. They held the Tennessee run game relatively in check, but not the way that Florida did. But here's the thing. So Florida did that to Tennessee, great, very impressive, right? But then two weeks later, the Gators were absolutely gashed on the ground by Kentucky. Kentucky went for 329 and a whopping 9.1 yards per rush against Florida in week five. I remember I was I was at a bar in, in Auburn, one of the like two and a half bars they have in that crappy city. And I was watching that game and I'm sitting there watching Kentucky just run all over Florida. And I'm like, what is happening? This Is this the same Florida team I saw completely stifle the Tennessee run game? The Tennessee team that's the best rushing offense in the, in the SEC? What is going on here? 329, 9.1 yards per rush. Well, okay, all right, Florida gets embarrassed there, right? So who is the real Florida? Are they, are they the, the defense that, that shut down Tennessee, or are they the defense that got ran flat over by Kentucky? Kentucky offense, by the way, they can't throw the football, can't complete a forward pass. So who are you? Well, the next week they followed up by limiting Vanderbilt to 64 yards rushing, 3.3 yards per carry. Now, we know Vandy, they don't run the football, man. They can't run the football. That's just a bad offensive line. They have nothing going on in the trenches. It's just they're overmatched every single game, right? So it's like, well, how much stock do you put into that? It's Vandy, right? Well, then they go into the next week, which is the last game they played right before the bye week, against South Carolina, and they give up 152 yards on the ground to the Gamecocks. Why is that alarm? You might say, well, 152 is not that bad, Tyler. I mean, okay, maybe, but let's consider the context here. South Carolina is 13th in the SEC and 123rd nationally in rushing offense. They average under 100 yards rushing per game, 93.7. And that South Carolina offense ran the ball for 152 against Florida. So who are you, Florida? Who is this Florida defense? Are they the defense that shut down Tennessee and Vandy? Or are they the defense that got run flat over by Kentucky and let a South Carolina team that hasn't been able to run the football against anybody run the ball on them fairly consistently? It's hard to know because they they, they kind of have this like a Jekyll Hyde thing, all right? Some weeks they're really good, some weeks not. It's, it's really hard to pinpoint. But when you look at the rush defense, okay, who's involved here, right? Well, the defensive line, linebackers primarily, yes, the safeties have some run fit responsibilities as well. But let's talk about this front six. I think one of the, the biggest factors behind Florida's inconsistencies against the run is just that, that they don't have game-changing talent up front, guys. On the defensive line, they have solid players, but they don't have game-changers. Now, you can say the same thing about us. Fair. I still think that we are better on the defensive line than Florida is. They do have a pair of like gigantic space eaters 
at the zero tech nose spot, uh, which is, you know, that's the same spot that plays such a, a critical role in our defense, the Jordan Davis spot, the Nazir Stackhouse spot, right? Go back to John John Jenkins spot. That's a critical spot in our defense because it frees up the linebackers, right? You, you're able to eat up space like that, free up the linebackers. And that's one of the reasons that we like the two gap in general, Curse, and I talked about that earlier. We like the two gap because it takes up, when it takes up, when I say it takes up space, it takes up blockers. And that keeps blockers off of our linebackers and allows them to run free and make plays, which is kind of what our defense is designed to do. If you have guys one gap all the time, well, that's cool. They might be disrupting the backfield, but then you've got all these guys, these offensive linemen who used to be taken up by these big space eaters on the interior. Now they're free and then go block your inside linebackers. And that creates its own set of issues. But again, they're very, like structurally, they're very much like us. They want a two gap. They want to have guys that eat up space and leave their linebackers free to run around and do what Nicobe Dean and Quay Walker and Chang Tindall and now to maybe a lesser degree, Pop Dumas Johnson and Smile Mondin do. But at that zero tech no spot, they got two guys, two huge guys. Cam Jackson's the guy who starts. He plays the most for them at that spot. He's 6'6", 366. Dude's huge. Not an overly great athlete that size. I mean, it's tough to be a great athlete that size. He's fine, but he's not... I mean, he, he's certainly not Jordan Davis, not that kind of athlete. He's not even, he's certainly not an athlete like Deion Walker is for Kentucky, who's similar size. And then Desmond Watson, you probably know this guy. He's a six foot five, 440 pounder who doesn't really play all that much because he can't sustain. He can't be out there for extended snaps because he's just so freaking big. The dude just can't handle it. His heart, his body just cannot handle it. So he plays. He's just not a, a major factor because he's not out there all that much. It's primarily Cam Jackson. But those guys have been solid two gappers for them. But they, they, they also don't show the ability to take over games. Like Jordan Davis could take over games at times. Cam Jackson, Desmond Watson haven't shown that they can do that. Um, at defensive end, Tyreek Sapps, the guy who's, who's been around for a while for them, he's, he's a solid veteran presence for them on the edge of that defensive line. But he's not an overly athletic guy. There are certainly some limitations for him athletically. And, you know, that keeps him from, like, he's a good, solid player for them. But, I mean, he's not, he's not a game changer, right? He's not a dominant force up front because he doesn't have that type of athletic ability. So obviously that defense in front, that's the first line of defense against the run. And they've been good, just not elite and not dynamic and not game changing. And then at the second level, you have a group of linebackers that I think are very, very talented. They're, they're two starters, inside linebacker, you got Shamar James and Scooby Williams. James is a really talented player. He was playing at a really high level earlier in the year. I think he's I don't want to say taking a step back. He's not playing at as high of a level right now. He's not consistent in his run fits. And that's that's my next point here. Yes, the defensive line is lacking in game changers, right? And difference makers up front. But I think more than anything, the biggest reason behind their their inconsistencies against the run, it's just poor run fits. It's, it's a new scheme for them, right? So it's a new DC coming in, new scheme. These guys are still adjusting to it, and their run fits are just poor sometimes. Against Kentucky, it wasn't that Kentucky was just physically dominating them down in and down out. Well, there was some of that, but more than anything, it's Kentucky. It was just guys were, were fitting the run wrong. They were leaving gaps wide open. They were creating easy holes, easy running lanes for backs. And, and that's that was the linebackers. Safeties have run fit responsibilities. They were involved in that as well. You had guys like Jalen Kimber who just were getting run over when he tried to stick his nose in there and just could not tackle anybody because that's kind of what Jalen Kimber does. I mean, it was an all-around disaster against Kentucky. Yeah, there were times they were just getting physically dominated. They couldn't tackle and they had opportunities to tackle, which is another one of their issues. And again, the run fits. The run fits. I, like, when I watch this team play, and I go back and I and I – rewind the tape, and I go through the fine-tooth comb, 
you watch it over and over again, you see, okay, you're fitting here. Why are there two guys in this gap and nobody in this gap? Like, this is not what that's supposed to look like. And that's happening far too often with, with Florida. It doesn't happen on every snap. And when, when they do it right, they're pretty good. Because I, I think their inside linebackers are talented. Shamar James, Scooby Williams, both really good players. But they just get it wrong too often. When they get it wrong, it, it creates those rushing lanes, and it's pretty obvious. And teams start to gash you just like Kentucky did and like South Carolina did. Now, and I'll give South Carolina credit. Mario Anderson's the guy that got a running back now. He's not like a dynamic runner, but he's a big physical dude. He's just running through tackles against Florida. Now, again, that is one of their problems. They're, 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 their run fits and their tackling has been largely poor this season. And the last thing I want to say here about the Florida defense, I, I kind of laid out a little bit earlier talking about their sack numbers. This is one of the least disrupted defenses in the entire SEC. They, they are definitely improved. They are better. They are, guys. They are much better. This team is much better coached than they were a year ago. I, I think Austin Armstrong is going to be a really good defense coordinator for a long time. But like a lot of his players, he's still inexperienced himself. I mean, he's he's learning on the job. He really is at this level. He's never had a job like this at this level. Now, does he have some familiarity with Kirby Smart and what we want to do offensively and defensively? Sure, of course he does. But this is a guy that's still very young, and he has some things to learn. But he is coaching this defense up. He's made them much more competent than they were a year ago, but they're also not very disrupted. Now, like I said earlier, you can say the same thing about our defense, right? There are a lot of similarities. I think a lot of it is philosophical, but they are, whatever the reason, they are one of the least disruptive teams defensively in the entire SEC. I said it earlier, they're dead last in the league in sacks, only 11 on the year. Uh, their best pass rusher is their, their Jack linebacker. a guy by the name of Princely. I'm going to butcher this so badly. I've heard this name said like a thousand times, but I still can't get it right. But I'm going to give my best shot. Uman Mielin. Uman Mielin. Princely Uman Mielin. There we go. I think I got it. He is their best pass rusher. He is their premier pass rusher. 6'5", 255. He's a really good, smooth athlete. Uh, he can get home, man. He's the one guy they have that can give him some good natural pass rush. He can get home. He can pressure the passer in a variety of ways. He's got some moves. He's a really good athlete. He's not overly... Like physically dominating, so it's not like much of a bull rush. We can get to the, to the passer in a variety of ways, but outside of him, there, there's not much. I mean, they, they really struggle to find ways to affect the quarterback. They will bring their inside linebackers a lot, like we do, but they're not particularly good pass rushers. Samar James is a solid pass rusher, but he, they're not Nicobe Dean. They're not Quay Walker. I mean, honestly, they're not even like Smile Mondin, you know, Jalen Walker types. Like they're not really those kind of guys. So they just struggle to get after the passer. And then beyond that, they're also not disruptive against the run. You know, they're dead last in the league in sacks. They're 13th in the SEC in tackles for loss. They're not creating a lot of negative plays. They're not putting offenses behind the chains on, on really any type of basis. And I think if they're going to beat us, again, if they're going to try to pull this upset, they're going to have to find a way to, to change that, at least for one game. They're going to have to put us behind the chains. I think we have too many weapons. I know that Brock's not playing this game, in this game, guys. I, I understand that Brock is not playing. I think we have plenty of guys offensively that can help pick up the slack. It's going to be by committee. There's not one guy. Oscar Delp's not going to be Brock Bowers, although I do think that Oscar is going to have a chance to be really effective in this game. Uh, like I said earlier in the week, I do believe that we're going to be utilizing him in a way that really aligns more so with what his skill set is, which is more, much more like Brock Bowers than Darnell Washington, which is how we kind of used him all year at this point. I think we can get him matched up on their safeties and have some advantages there. I do think that we can get him matched up on the linebackers, have some advantages there. I think he's going to have a good, solid game for us. But I also think we're going to feature guys like Dominic Lovett in a way that we haven't this year. We've used him primarily in the RPO game. I think we're going to get him some more shots down the field, work him in the slot, give him some of those slot fades I've been waiting for all year long allow him to work the middle of the field a bit more. Lad McConkey's actually been practicing this week, guys. He's gone through full practices, a couple of those 
each of the last two weeks, the bye week and now this week. And that's that's huge, guys, because I'm telling you, prior to the bye week, he was not practicing. He was there watching, kind of going through walkthroughs, but he was not a participant. He was just going out there and doing what he, he knows how to do because he's been doing it for so long. But this guy's actually been practicing, which is a huge sign that he is training in the right direction from a health standpoint. And if he, we can get him back, I know who Brock is. I know how great he is. But getting Ladd back is certainly going to help us kind of mitigate as much as you possibly can the loss of Brock Bowers. And you got guys like Marcus shows me Jack Saint, who's shown that he can be a playmaker. Ra Ra Thomas continues to come on week after week. I want to see what he looks like after the bye. We had a chance to work on ourselves. So if they allow us to stay ahead of the change and stay in the position that we want to offensively, they're going to have a hard time stopping us. So we have a lot of ways that we can attack them. Our running game is starting to come on now that Kendall is, I know he left the Vandy game early, but he's had a two, a two good weeks of practice. He should be fine to go in this game. If we can have him there with Dejan Edwards, it's a really nice one-two punch in our backfield. Marius Mims has been practicing this week. Now, how much will he play? That still remains to be seen because he's got to work himself back into shape. Being able to play is one thing. Being in physical condition, go out there and play snap after snap after snap, that's a totally different thing. But trust is practicing, guys. He's fine. There might be some sort of rotation there, right tackle, trying to get Mims back to speed. So I think we're going to be able to run the football. I think that we're going to be able to, to operate play action down the field, even without Brock. I think we're going to be able to, to attack this defense in a variety of ways. The one thing that could change that is when they put us off schedule, if they can create some negative plays, which they have not really been able to all year. Um, just like offensively for Florida, I think if I was them, I would attack us on early downs, be more aggressive than I have at any point this season. I think I would say the same thing defensively. What do you have, man? Like, what do you have to lose? Try to get after the quarterback. Try to get after this is the best offense you faced. Like, let's just be real. At this point, Florida's still trying to build out this program, this roster. They're outmanned right now. So what do you do in that situation? You try to dial it up, man. You take some more risks than you normally do. You try to create some negative plays, put us behind the chains, get us off schedule, and try to get us outside of our comfort zone. That's what I expect from Florida. And our offensive line better be ready for that. Our offensive line has been awesome protecting Carson Beck. And that's that's one thing that gives me a lot of confidence in this game. Because I do expect them to try to bring some pressure and find ways to get us off schedule and, and affect Carson. I expect them to come with some, some run blitzes on early downs or standard downs to try to be generally aggressive. But our offensive line is by far been the best team in the SEC in protecting the quarterback. We've only allowed six sacks in the year, which the next closest team is 11. I think it was Kentucky. 11 sacks is the next closest team. That's number two. There is not one team in this league that has protected their passer better than we have. And again, Florida, dead last in the league in sacks. So that's another matchup advantage for us here. I mean, how, how many matchups have I laid out in this episode, guys, that favor us in this game? Third downs, Rushing Graham Mertz, protecting Carson Beck. All these matchups favor us in this game. Now, if you're looking for one key to this game, there's always more than one key. It's never just one thing, right? But if you want to boil it down to one thing, I really think it's this. Can we stop Florida's rushing attack? They run the ball well. I think that their offensive line is still, like I said, a work in progress. Our defensive line is not what it was last year. But if we can stop their ground game and put this game firmly, squarely on the shoulders of Graham Mertz, who, yes, is much better than he has been at any point in his career. This guy is playing at a really high level. The last two weeks, he's been as good as anybody in this league. But can he do it against a defense of this caliber without the run game, without the ability to operate play action off of that? I have not seen him do that yet. Maybe he can. Maybe he'll he'll make a fool of me once again. That's certainly possible. But if you're talking about how do you shut down this Florida offense, how do you stop them? You stop the run game. Because, that again, at the core of what they want to do offensively, they want to run the football. It's like us. Like, what does our offense look like if we can't run the football? Remember the SEC Championship game against Alabama back in 2021? And Stetson had to throw it, like, 40-plus times? It didn't work out so well, right? 
Traditionally, if we can't run the ball, we struggle. The same thing is very true of the Florida offense. Just like our defense, their defense has a lot of similarities to ours. Their offense is very similar to ours. They're trying to build that program like we build our program. You know, people have called us Bama East for years since Kirby got here, right? Well, Billy Napier is trying to make Florida into Georgia South, but we just still have better players. So if we can stop their run, and by stop it, let's say hold them to under four yards a rush, or around 100 yards total, right? If we can do that and force Napier to turn to the pass and put this game on the shoulders of Graham Mertz, I think that plays right into our hands because that's when we can start to pin our ears back and and really rush the passer and get after him. That's a Florida offensive line that cannot protect him. At least they don't protect him very well. If we stop the run, we get them in third long situations, which is where they really struggle. They're one of the worst teams in the country on third down. We are the very best team, number one in the country in third down defense. So if we can get them to third down, we're going to win this football game. If we get them to third down consistently, we win this football game and it's really not even going to be close. So how do you do that? You stop the run. That's why that's my number one key. Stop the run, get them to third and long. That's where we excel. That's where they struggle. That's the biggest matchup advantage in our favor in this game. We just have to get to that point. You get to that point by stopping the run. Now, of course, you can't turn the ball over. You can't give up special teams, touchdowns, all those things you can say about any football game. Those are always keys to a game. But in this particular game, if you really want to boil it down to one thing, it's got to be stop the Florida run game. All right, guys, there you have it. That is one hour and three minutes of pure football ecstasy breaking down this Georgia-Florida game, the latest edition of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I told you guys, I told you, you're not going to find a deeper breakdown of this game anywhere else. So I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed going through it, talking about this. This is what I love to do, guys. This is what I live for. So I appreciate you being here always, guys. Always appreciate you. But we are not done this week, guys. Charlie will be back with me tomorrow to do our week eight, nine-ish, nine. I think it's week nine. Week nine picks of the week. And uh, don't look now. Your boy's making a move. Last week was good to me, guys. I'm back on it. So we're going to have a bunch of winners for you guys tomorrow. Make sure to check in for that. And I will catch you guys then. And as always... Go dogs! <laughs>